Thank you for joining us for our current sermon series at City Baptist Church. And this is Pastor Paul, and right now we're in a study of the life of one of the most well-known individuals in all of Scripture, King David from the book of 1 Samuel. As we study the highs and lows of his life, we'll see that in every circumstance, God is working for his glory and for our good. We are so thankful that you would choose to grow in your faith with us. And if there's anything we can do for you, we would love to hear from you through our website or social media accounts. We really do believe that God is changing lives through His Word, and so we are praying that you'd be encouraged and challenged by this week's message. First Samuel chapter 15 this morning, last week, uh, we began a new series on the life of David. The title is David, the life of a king. And uh, last week, we didn't talk about David at all. Do you remember that? We didn't really talk about David as we're kind of giving some backstory. And I have to tell you something. This morning, we're not going to talk about David much at all either. And I hope that's okay. Now, I know on Wednesday night, some of you are really good at uh, keeping, uh, remembering things. And Wednesday night, I said to the church, I said, listen, I know I didn't talk about da- uh, David, uh, but we're going to talk about David on Sunday. And I even gave you the passage that we were going to talk about. And guess what? We're not going to talk about that at all. And uh, sometimes that happens, you know, in the middle of my study this week as I'm building and working on this message and doing some background work, uh, God was like, you need to sit here in chapter 15 for just a little bit longer. We're setting up something. We're setting up the need for a good king in King David. And so we're going to be there this morning, and I'll try to uh, explain why we're, we're in this for, uh, for this service today. But I believe it'll be a challenge and a help to all of us. Um, I also wanted to say, uh, just, just at the beginning, uh, thank you for all of you who are praying for my mother-in-law. She had a surgery this week, and I know several of you have reached out, and I mentioned it on Wednesday night. Um, that's where my wife is down right now in Seattle with her mom. Uh, but she came through it really great, and uh, it, so much so that my wife's job basically now is telling her to stop doing stuff. You know, like, no. Don't do that. You're not allowed to do that. Stop trying to to work and do things. And so uh, thank you for praying. It looks like she's coming through. We have a few weeks to find out. Um, really the results, but thank you for praying for her as, uh, of course, that's close to my heart uh, with our family. All right, so we're in 1 Samuel chapter 15, and if you remember last week, uh, the situation that was evolving is the children of Israel, as we looked at chapter 8, were desirous of a king like the other nations. Uh, Up until this point, God had told them and said, listen, you are going to be a people that are going to be led by, uh, first of all, God, number one. You're going to be led by the Lord, and beyond that, there's going to be some earthly leaders, yes, that God will speak to directly. There's going to be some uh, uh, high priests. There's going to be some priests, some judges. There's going to be some prophets that God's going to give, but ultimately, your king is to be Jesus. It is to be God himself. Well, the people didn't really like that, and so they asked for a king, and if you remember from last week, they said, I want a king, or we want a king like the other nations. Of course, surrounding them on all sides were pagans. So they said, we want a king like other nations. And of course, Samuel, who was the final prophet at this point, he was involved in the situation and he tried to warn them. And God said, you need to warn them. Uh, But ultimately, the nation had received what they wanted. And now when we come to chapter 15, they are in a desperate situation. The king experiment, the great king experiment that had begun just a few years ago, honestly, was a dismal failure. The people had desired a king like the other nations, and that's really what they received. His name was Saul. He was a man who was from a good family. If you learn about him earlier on in the, cha- in the, in the book, we understand that he was, or his father was described as a mighty man of power. 
So he, come from, he came from a well-known family. More than likely, he came from some wealth. And throughout chapter 9, Saul is described as a handsome man. In fact, twice he is described as handsome, which tells us he was doubly handsome. And uh, it also says that he was more handsome than anyone in the land. And so, you know, when the Israelite uh, people, 50 most beautiful people in Israel magazine came out, he was at the front every single year. He was the most good looking guy in all of the land. It also says that he was taller than everybody else by his head and shoulders. So pretty much everyone else made it to here and uh, he was taller than everyone in the land. So he was a good-looking guy. He was tall. It seemed like he had everything together. He was from a good family. But despite his outward promise, and I would say this, he did start out well. He very quickly, King Saul, fell into a pattern of sin. Regularly, he dismissed God's clear desire for him. He ignored Samuel's counsel. And all of that uh, resistance to doing right led to poor decision or sinful decision after sinful decision after sinful decision. Often he was erratic in the way that he approached life, but the core of the issue uh, in Saul was that he simply did not want to listen to anyone else. You could say this, the power had gone to his head. It's amazing to me how sometimes those that uh, desire a position of power, that once they receive that, at, that leadership position, or maybe that coworker of yours that got promoted, to now they're your boss, it's amazing how suddenly they transform, right? And that power somewhat goes to their head, and they begin to make erratic decisions, and they uh, believe that they are untouchable, and that everything they do is the right thing, and uh, no one has any right to speak into their lives. And you're all thinking of politicians right now, I know, but it happens. Uh, in all aspects of life. And so they get to this position and, and Saul did not surround himself with godly counsel except for when he found himself in trouble, which was very often, and then he would reach out for help. But even in those moments, he often went directly against good counsel. And so it was just a few years into King Saul's reign uh, that we see him make a decision that we're going to cover today that directly led him to disobey God very specifically. And ultimately, this move that he's about to make here in chapter 15, is going to ultimately cost him the kingdom. And here's what I want us to get this morning. It's also going to cost him his ability to lead, God, uh, lead God's people in fulfilling their purpose. God had given him an opportunity, had placed him in a position that he could make a difference, and he's about to squander that and lose any kind of influence within the nation that God had given to him. Now, the spiral that we really hit the bottom of today in chapter 15 did not start in our portion of Scripture. And throughout our time today, we're going to see that the end result that we're going to cover is a culmination of many different decisions and really a life that is marked by disobedience to God. Saul's life, the end of his life, the, although this is not the end of his physical life, but the end of his influence is a culmination of many different decisions of choosing to disobey God. You could say that today's message Church is a cautionary tale. And that's really what I want the focus to be for us all. The depths and the results of a life of disobedience to God. A life of sin. See, King Saul, though he was in a favorable position given to him by God, through his own disregard and his own disobedience, lost his effectiveness for the one who called him. And the same is true in our lives. When we live a life in disobedience and disregard for what God has laid out for his people, for his people, the end result is a loss of effectiveness and the loss of an ability to 
influence others for the cause of Jesus Christ and a mark on our own personal testimony. And so that's why I say that today is a cautionary tale. Now, I want you to understand, you and I are not King Saul today. So don't try to put yourself in his position. This was a specific time. But what we are going to do today is we're going to learn a lot from him. And specifically, we're going to learn a lot from his failure. And we're going to learn and be warned by his example. So my prayer today at the end of the message today is that all of us would be renewed in our desire simply to live a life of obedience to God. That we would desire to obey God in all things. Well, we're going to begin in verse uh, number uh, 7 here in just a moment in 1 Samuel 15. But I'm just going to give you a bit of the background, the first few verses. So here's the situation. God was uh, using Israel and King Saul. They were, uh, uh, they were, they were driving back some of the pagan uh, countries and nations that had taken ground there in the promised land. And God was using Israel to pour out his judgment upon some of these other nations that were surrounding them. And in the beginning part of the chapter, we see God tell him specifically, you are to go and you are to destroy the Amalekites. This is a group of people. Uh, and you are to destroy them out of the land. You're to, you're to rid them from the promised land. Now, we're not going to dig into all of the different questions that come up around this, but specifically here, God was bringing judgment to a people who, as we read about in the book of Deuteronomy, were a people that when Israel had left Egypt and they were traveling uh, throughout the wilderness, that this was a people that had come up behind the children of Israel, some uh, two million strong at this point, and at the back of the, of the train, if you want to call it that, the back of the, of the train uh, of, of the children of Israel where they're traveling, there were many that were weak, there were many that were, uh, that were sick, there were many that were children, people with small children, they could not travel as fast as the others, and so they were behind. And what the Amalekites did is they came in and they attacked and they murdered and slaughtered those that were at the back. We see that in the book of Deuteronomy. And they slaughtered them and obviously uh, brought a lot of damage to those that were not able to defend themselves, killed many of them. Well, God did not forget their cowardly attack. And so we see the judgment being placed upon them through Israel and particularly King Saul. And so God said, you need to go and execute my judgment upon this people for their sin against Israel. Now, the story starts out right. Saul goes and he gathers the people. He begins to go and and, and, uh, start heading towards the Amalekite city. There's even a moment of unique justice where Saul reaches out to the city that they're about to go and attack. And there's a group of people there called the Kenites. And they had been kind and been uh, very uh, generous with Israel when they came. And so he went and he warned the Kenites and he says, you guys, you need to leave because I'm about to attack. And so a unique story of justice in there. He says, you need to leave the city because this is what's going to happen. And so we see them leave because of their willingness to bless the children of Israel. And then the war begins. We come to verse number seven. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur, that is over against Egypt. So, I mean, this is down south now in Israel. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings of the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse that they destroyed utterly. So the command is given, you're to go in and you're to wipe out the Amalekites. But right there in the first couple of verses, verse eight, did you notice something? He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites alive and in verse number nine, it says, but Paul, uh, Saul and the people spared Agag. Now, the word that is used there in verse number nine that is translated spared for us is a singular word in the Hebrew. 
And it's nearly impossible for us to translate into the English language in the, in the right way. And so what we understand, though, is that this word is singular, where both the singular and the plural forms of this verb are identical. So what we, what we notice, and the reason I'm pointing it out, is because when he says that, uh, notice, but Saul and the people, although the people are mentioned, they are not the subject of this. The subject of this is King Saul, and what that tells us is that the main instigator of the disobedience was Saul himself. Everyone else, they knew what the command was to do, but Saul was the one who said, no, let's spare Agag. Let's spare these animals. Do you understand what I'm trying to get across here? There's a, there's a, a mindset that he has that though God had told him to do something, he wasn't going to do it. Now, for you and I, we would say, why would Saul think this was okay? Well, this is where it comes down to his pattern of living. And this is what comes to our first thought, first thought today as we talk about sin. And that is this. Sin gets easier the more you sin. Sin gets easier the more you sin. Now, you might be new today. You might, might be one of your first times in church. You're like, what is sin? Well, sin is anything that we as God's creation do to rebel against him. And the way that that happens is when we disobey God's word for us. As a kid, we used to say, you know, sin is anything that you say, think, or do that goes against God and his word. Now, we have the Bible here. This is God's word for us. This is our, our pathway for life. And so we follow this. And God's given us very clear instruction how to live our life, how we are to behave, how we are to act. And so when we go against that, that is called sin. And though they did not have the completed word of God here in this day, Saul knew what was right and he knew what was wrong. But the point I want us to understand is that he did this. He disobeyed God's directive because... He was already in a pattern. From the beginning of his reign, Saul was always looking for ways around full obedience. And just months into his reign, it's interesting, he started a pattern of partial obedience. So God would say, I want you to do this, and then he would obey almost all the way, but then he would always do something else off to the side. He would disobey in some way. It wasn't complete obedience. You know, it's like when your parents, you know, when you're a kid and you're like, go clean up your clothes, right? And you go and you check in their room and everything's cleaned up, but there's a towel on the floor. And they're like, well, those aren't my clothes. <laughs> you missed the point. So to do clean your room is the whole point here. Or there's a sock. You know, there's always a sock hanging from one of the beds. You didn't completely do it. You just did a little bit. You didn't finish it out. And Saul, that's how he was. He would never complete it. And over time, he became accustomed. And we're not going to dig through all of his past. But he became accustomed. And there was a pattern of not always obeying the Lord, though he, because he thought he could get away with it. And now we have him directly going against a direct command from God. Now, God knows all things, okay? He knows all things. And so God goes to Samuel and he tells him what happened. And Samuel, of course, the prophet is grieved. He's upset. He's frustrated. He's angry. And so first thing in the morning, he gets up and he goes and he sees Saul. And we find that in verse number 13. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said unto him, notice Saul's attitude, okay? Get this. Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Okay, now I know you all are angry at Saul already, okay? You're like, why didn't he obey God? Notice how he responds to Samuel. Hey, you blessed of the Lord. I just want you to know I did the commandment of the Lord. And we're all like, okay, sure, liar. And Samuel said, this is great. Well, what meaneth then? He said, what, what do you mean then this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And the arrogance of Saul when he says he obeyed God and Samuel's response is epic. He's like, so why do I hear and smell sheep? <laughs> why do I hear uh, oxen, you know, uh, making noise? 
It's how ridiculous Saul's claim is, how absurd uh, that it is that the evidence of his disobedience is all around him, and yet in his pride, he says, hey, Samuel, just want you to know I did what I was supposed to do. I obeyed God in all things. And you just hear, eh, you know, in the background as soon as he says that. Or, you know, Agag comes in and is like, oh, hey, sorry, you know, it goes back out. I mean, the evidence of his disobedience is, is all around him. He's so proud that he says, I am faithfully following the Lord. He even repeated the slide later on in verse 19 uh, when he's being challenged. He said, why didn't you obey the, uh, the voice of the Lord? You did fly upon the spoil, did evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. He says, I've done it. I've gone the way which the Lord sent me. And then he even admits it. I brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Okay, you say you've destroyed them, but then you have Agag right here. But then you're saying, I've, I've done it. Now, you might be thinking, how does a person get to a place like this? I mean, it's ridiculous. How does a person get to a place like this? I think David had the answer later on, and maybe in reflection of, of Saul, he wrote this in Psalm 36, and it speaks of us as well. The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. There's no fear of God. For he flattereth himself with his own eyes until his iniquity, iniquity be found hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off to be wise and do good. He deviseth mischief upon his bed. He setteth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. That means like evil to you is, to him is no big deal. This is a description of somebody who's in disobedience to God, someone who is really far away from God. And this is where Saul was. That he was able to look the prophet of God in the eye, the one who had told him what he was supposed to do, and say, I obeyed. Looked him right in the eye and said, hey, I did what God told us to do. Amazing. This is the result of continued sin. That when you live a life that is just continually in rebellion and continually in disobedience, the more that you do it, the easier it gets the more you convince yourself that it's okay. And so while you and I are hearing this story, you know, and we're shaking our head at Saul's audacity, it's not that far from where we like to live so often. Too many of us show up to worship services on Sunday thinking that everything is just fine between us and God. Hey God, I walked in, you know, we kind of tapped the door jam on the way in, right? I'm here. I did it. Aren't you happy, God? You should say thank you to me. <laughs> I hope that you'll you know, bless me this week because I showed up today. And yet the reality is, is we have convinced ourselves that everything is all good. We're totally fine. We sing songs and we tell everybody else that we're all good and we're all right with God. Yet the evidence of disobedience is all around us. Our spouse, our children, our coworkers know and see the hypocrisy of what we are saying. See, for us, it's so easy to read this story and be like, what a hypocrite. But this is how often we live. And it's often because the sin is just constant in our lives. And the more that we do it, the easier it gets, the easier it gets to convince ourselves. And if we're not careful, as time passes, you will eventually find yourself saying and doing things you never thought you were capable of because you found yourself in this pattern of disobedience. I don't know about you, but I found myself saying and doing things that I'm like, I cannot believe I just said that. I cannot believe I just responded like that. And it's a terrible place to be. It's, a, it's, it's not, you do not want to be there, but it's developed in a pattern in our lives already. It's very rare that somebody just goes out and commits adultery. 
You say, well, I know people that have committed adultery. Okay, yeah, I do too. But you know what? It doesn't just happen in a moment. It's a thought process. It's the pornography. It's the, it's the mind that is only focused on those things. It's the objectifying of women. It's the, it's the desire so much for a ethereal idea of romance that they'll put themselves in that position. It doesn't just happen like that, okay? You understand what I'm trying to say? There's a pattern that comes. And, and that's how it is with sin. The more that we allow ourselves to be involved in, the more that we don't confess our sin, the more that we don't get right with God and be genuine in our repentance, the further along it goes, the farther away we find ourselves from God. And that's what we see with Saul here. He was in a pattern of disobedience and it led him to a place that he didn't even realize he was in. He didn't even realize what was going on. Because sin gets easier the more that you sin. But secondly, in our passage, sin always has an excuse. And we see this here uh, in his story here as we continue in verse 15. Because Samuel comes and he confronts Saul and Saul has an answer. Notice what he said. He said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God and the rest we have ultimately destroyed. You know, I would have hoped that when Samuel came to him that Saul would have repented and said, I'm so sorry, I can't believe, you know, I disobeyed God. But rather what he says is he blames the people, right? It was their fault. Here's the excuse. It was their fault. And then also, well, actually the reason we did it Okay, it's their fault, but actually the reason we did it is because we wanted to sacrifice to God. So we did wrong to do right. Somebody used to say to me, it's never right to do wrong to do right. <laughs> That's a good thing to remember. It's never right to do wrong to do right. And, and, and he's saying here that he disobeyed God to honor God. Now to us, we read this and we're like the mental gymnastics that Saul is going through, right? If you ever talk to somebody like that, you're like, how in the world are you coming to this, this opinion or to this place? They're just, I mean, all over the place. How is it that we get to this place? Well, it's actually very simple, isn't it? Because we often live in that world of denial and of excuse where we even justify doing wrong and say that, oh, I'm doing it for a right reason. We're guilty. We spiritualize our disobedience sometimes, don't we? It's amazing that the length that we will go to to try and convince ourselves that we're doing the right thing. You know, this person wronged me, and though I know that God said I should forgive, I'm going to hold on to this grudge, and I'm going to punish that person because they need to know that there's consequences for their sin. So I'm going to be the one that's going to judge them and I'm going to treat them bad and I'm not going to forgive them and I'm going to hold on to it because they need to know. And I believe that maybe God is just using me as judgment in their life right now, just so that they understand and so that they know that he is on the throne. Amen. I will not forgive you, right? I've done that before. I've done that before. I'm not going to, uh, I'm just not going to give obediently as I know I should because I need to provide for my family. And that's what, that's what God has given me as a responsibility, right? Now, those are two very good things, but they don't cancel one out. Does that make sense? You know, how many times have we said, you know, like I'm, uh, uh, and, I, and I've had this said to me before, you know, I'm not going to go to church today because I'm tired and my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> so I need to make sure that I'm well rested to go to work tomorrow. They go to work tired as well too, right? They stayed up a little bit late watching Netflix. You understand what I'm saying? 
These are just very simple things. These are very basic things. You could probably uh, create a lot more illustration than I could today. And I don't want to waste or spend a lot of time on this, but it's important that we remind ourselves that sin always has an excuse. What's your excuse right now for what you're struggling with? For the sin that is besetting you, the thing that you're involved in, the thing that you're, what is your excuse? I deserve this. I need this. I'm, you know, I was mistreated in the past. And so therefore I can do this now. What is it? What is the excuse? Sin has an excuse. I want to move on a little bit quickly here, but this is what's going on in the life of Saul. He's giving excuses because he thinks he can manipulate God because he got away with it in the past. It's how he was with God before. And so he's like, well, I guess it's going to be okay now. Well, I want to continue. I'm going to read you several verses here because God's not impressed. Verse 10 and 11, then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel saying, it repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king. God is expressing emotion over the actions of Saul. For he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel and he cried unto the Lord all night. Your sin doesn't just affect you, it affects other people as well. God is grieved. Samuel is grieved all night long. Verse 22, I'm just going to move around a little bit in the chapter. And Samuel said, I had the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord. He says to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken. That's listen than the fat of rams for rebellion. He's speaking to Saul for rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because thou hath rejected the word of the Lord. He had also rejected thee from being king. See to God rebellion and sin is as bad as witchcraft. Think about that. You know, and all the evil, like, you know, uh, thoughts you can pick, you know, picture in your mind, right? Of an old witch, you know, or whatever it is. <laughs> evil, satanic. That's how God looks at sin, at rebellion. In verse 23, he says, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he's rejected you. We've covered that already. Verse 26, and Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return it with thee. This is after he had begged for him to go with him. For you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he, hold, he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle. He grabbed his clothes, and it, and it rent, and it tore. And Samuel, I mean, this is like so cinematic. I don't know if you can see this or not. You know, he, he tears his, his, his robe, and he says, the Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day. And have given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. The point is that sin has a bitter end. Saul thought he was untouchable. He thought that he'd just be able to do whatever it was. And he'd been chosen by God. I'm going to lead the nation of Israel. I've got all this so I can live however I want. But he is living proof of Proverbs 16 that tells us there is a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. And even when it seemed like Saul was repenting. If you, if you were to read every verse in this chapter, you would see there's times where he says, I have sinned. I've sinned. But what we understand is that it was not genuine. <laughs> it was not genuine repentance. You say, how do you know that? Because there was no change in his life. He continued on saying that he was right in it. As well, if you continue on in the chapter, what you understand is that the reason he was saying, I'm sorry and I'm repenting is because he wanted Samuel to, uh, he wanted Samuel to bring him and to bring the people together and have a big feast and have a big sacrifice to proclaim him as the victorious king in the battle. See, only the high priest could gather the, the, the people, could gather the entire nation for a celebration of a victory. It was only the priest who could do that. And so he needed Samuel on his side. He needed, he needed to be in his good graces. And so he says, oh, it's, I'm so sorry. Come on, let's go up there and let's have the sacrifice. Come on, bring everybody together so we can celebrate him, right? He wasn't repentant because of what he did. He was repentant because he got caught. He was repentant because it was revealed. His life is a testimony. Saul's life, the true heart, is revealed. And we'll see that throughout our study of King David. 
is that his life is a testimony of just sin after sin, mental anguish, vengeance, disgrace. He's the perfect example of a quote that you've maybe heard before, that sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you more than you want to pay. That's the hard reality. I just want to say this very plainly. Disobedience to God, living a life in disobedience to him does not bring peace. It does not bring joy. And if you're a child of God today, God is not going to allow you to live in that space. He's going to bring, like he did to Saul, confrontation. He's going to bring a wake-up call to you. It might be this message right now that you're really uncomfortable with. I can't believe Pastor Paul, he normally is smiling and joking. Why is he talking about sin? Because it's in the Bible. (laughs) It's where we are. And sometimes we need to be confronted with that reality of it so that we can get back to a place of repentance, get back to a place of right standing with God. And that's why we come to our last thought on our passage this morning. And this is, this is my favorite point, okay? Number four, not just because it's the last one. Some of you are like, yes, number, you just drew a huge four in your notes, okay? Sin always has a way out. I love this. Sin always has a way out. In verse 16 and 17, Samuel, when he came to Saul, he said unto Saul, stay and I will tell thee what the Lord has said to me this night. This is after staying up crying all night. And he said, that Saul said, say on. <laughs> and Samuel said, when thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? In the middle of this whole situation, when I believe Samuel still believed there was some hope for Saul, he reminds him that he was, had become a king, that God had made him a king when previously he had been a nobody. He says, Saul, remember when you were just a kid working with your family and out of nowhere, God chose you and led you and made you king over Israel? You say, what is Samuel trying to get across to him? Well, this is a beautiful picture of the gospel as seen in the Old Testament. Because like Saul was so undeserving of that promotion, in the same way, we are undeserving of anything good from God. The hope, of course, was that Saul would have responded in gratitude because of God's amazing grace, that he would have allowed the value of God's gift to him to break that power of sin over his life. But that's not how Saul responded. Saul responded by hardening himself against God's grace. But I want to remind you this morning that for us today, God said something similar to us. He said that when you were a sinner, I still died for you. I came to this earth and I hung on a cross for you. We were greatly undeserving of his grace. We're greatly undeserving of it, but yet he still came and he gave his life for you. That's why we can say as Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. See, the God of the universe sacrificed, sacrificed himself for us and he loves us immeasurably. And when you and I understand this gift of salvation that has been given to us and maybe be reminded of that gift of salvation that is given to us, it liberates us from the driving need to be great. It eliminates from us uh, the desire to go our own way because when we know the value of God's gift in our heart, it breaks us from that captivating power over sin. 
See, the great news of the gospel, the, good, the gospel means good news. The great news about it is that Christ fulfilled obedience perfectly for us, but even though he was perfectly obedient to God, he still gave up his life for us, and he laid it down, suffered rejection and punishment, and sacrificed himself for us, and he did it in our place, suffering the penalty of our sin. And that's the good news of it. As Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Jesus paid the penalty of our sin so that we who are nothing, like Saul, when you were, when you were nothing, when you were little, God gave you something. And for us, we were nothing. We deserve nothing. But yet God gave us the gift of salvation so that we, we could be made acceptable in God's sight. And if you remember back earlier when Samuel said, you know, to obey is better than sacrifice. You remember that whole story? Well, the author of Hebrews sort of alludes to that in Hebrews 10, where he speaks about how Jesus obeyed God completely. And then as the perfect sacrifice gave up his life so that we through him can be acceptable to God. To obey is better than sacrifice, but Jesus was the perfect obedience and he was the perfect sacrifice. He was all of those things. Together, it was in, in Christ. And as, uh, and as Christ obeyed in that way and sacrificed himself, it's possible then for you and for I, who are nothing, who are unworthy, undeserving of any good thing, that's how we can be made the righteousness of God in him. We can receive the gift of eternal life. It's the same sacrifice, church, for those of you that know Jesus as your savior, that gives us forgiveness and freedom from the bondage of sin. I want to close with this passage in Romans 6, it says, what then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. You're probably familiar with that verse. He says, hey, we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. But does that mean then we should sin? Well, of course not. He says, know ye not in verse 16, that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. I love that. Such were some of you, as scripture says in Corinthians. You were the servants of sin, but you've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Verse 18, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. In Christ, we are free from the penalty of our sin, the eternal penalty of our sin. But we are also free from the bondage to sin while we live on this earth. And it's all because of that same sacrifice, the obedient one, Jesus Christ, the righteous. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. It does mean that sometimes we will try to rationalize our sin. We'll try to be like Saul and rationalize our disobedience. We'll try to follow a non-biblical narrative. We'll try to blame others for our disobedience. We'll try to make up for our mistakes by, you know, doing some gesture of generosity or just something to point out that we're not as bad as the other guy. But I got to tell you, that's a path uh, without an exit. (laughs) And you're just going to continue on down that path. And ultimately, you'll end up in a place that you never thought you would be. But God does not want our rationalizations. He wants our repentance. God does not want our sacrifices. He wants our submission. He wants our obedience. See, the choice has passed on for Saul, but it hasn't passed for us. The choice between self-deception and repentance, between death and between life, it stands before each of us today. And that's the decision that we have to make. As I mentioned This is a cautionary tale. Maybe some of you have been in a pattern of sin for a while now, and you are at the edge 
you are thinking about doing something, sinning in such a way that would radically change your life, your testimony. It may bring great damage to other people. And I want to warn you today, please learn from Saul. Learn from Saul. Those of you that are, are walking with Christ and you are just, you're pursuing him with all that you are and you're growing in your faith. Maybe today you just need to be reminded of the goodness of the gospel and the goodness of his sacrifice. And it might be that there's maybe one of you that you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never turned in faith to him. And maybe right now there's something that's sort of working at your heart and you don't know what it is. I want to tell you that it's the Lord and he's calling you. And he's saying, this is true. <laughs> this is true. Salvation is found in Jesus and in him alone. And I ask you, would you turn to him today in faith and trust him for your eternity? That is the best decision you could ever make. It will transform your life if you would just trust him. We hope that you were encouraged by the message today and we would love to hear how God has worked in your life. If you'd like to take the time to visit our website and send us a message through the contact page, we would really appreciate it. Have a blessed day.